Section two of Capital and Interest by Frederick Bastiat. Read for you by Michelle Fry, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part two of Capital and Interest, entitled Capital and Interest. I address this treatise to the workmen of Paris, more especially to those who have enrolled themselves under the banner of socialist democracy. I proceed to consider these two questions. First, is it consistent with the nature of things and with justice that capital should produce interest? Second, is it consistent with the nature of things and with justice that the interest of capital should be perpetual? The working men of Paris will certainly acknowledge that a more important subject could not be discussed. Since the world began, it has been allowed, at least in part, that capital ought to produce interest. But latterly, it has been affirmed that herein lies the very social error which is the cause of pauperism and inequality. It is, therefore, very essential to know now on what ground we stand. For if levying interest from capital is a sin, the workers have a right to revolt against social order as it exists. It is in vain to tell them that they ought to have recourse to legal and pacific means. It would be a hypocritical recommendation. When, on the one side, there is a strong man, poor and a victim of robbery, on the other hand, a weak man, but rich and a robber, it is singular enough that we should say to the former, with a hope of persuading him, wait till your oppressor voluntarily renounces oppression, or till it shall cease of itself. This cannot be and those who tell us that capital is by nature unproductive ought to know that they are provoking a terrible and immediate struggle. If, on the contrary, the interest of capital is natural, lawful, consistent with the general good, as favorable to the borrower as to the lender, the economists who deny it, the tribunes who traffic in this pretended social wound, are leading the workmen into a senseless and unjust struggle which can have no other issue than the misfortune of all. In fact, they are arming labor against capital so much the better if these two powers are really antagonistic and may the struggle soon be ended but if they are in harmony the struggle is the greatest evil which can be inflicted on society you see then workmen that there is not a more important question than this is the interest of capital lawful or not in the former case you must immediately renounce the struggle to which you are being urged in the second, you must carry it on bravely and to the end. Productiveness of capital, perpetuity of interest, these are difficult questions. I must endeavor to make myself clear, and for that purpose I shall have recourse to example rather than to demonstration. Or rather I shall place the demonstration in the example. I begin by acknowledging that at first sight it may appear strange that capital should pretend to a remuneration, and above all, to a perpetual remuneration. You will say, here are two men. One of them works from morning till night, from one year's end to another, and if he consumes all which he has gained, even by superior energy, he remains poor. When Christmas comes, he is no forwarder than he was at the beginning of the year. He has no other prospect but to begin again. 
the other man does nothing either with his hands or his head or at least if he makes use of them at all it is only for his own pleasure it is allowable for him to do nothing for he has an income he does not work yet he lives well he has everything in abundance delicate dishes sumptuous furniture elegant equipages nay he even consumes daily things which the workers have been obliged to produce by the sweat of their brow for these things do not make themselves and as far as he is concerned he has had no hand in their production it is the workmen who have caused this corn to grow polished this furniture woven these carpets it is to our wives and daughters who have spun cut out sewed and embroidered these stuffs we work then for him and for ourselves for him first and then for ourselves if there is anything left but here is something more striking still if the former of these two men the worker consumes within the year any profit which may have been left him in that year he is always at the point from which he started and his destiny condemns him to move incessantly in a perpetual circle and a monotony of exertion labor then is rewarded only once but if the other the gentleman consumes his yearly income in the year he has the year after and in those which follows and through all eternity an income always equal inexhaustible perpetual capital then is remunerated not only once or twice but an indefinite number of times so that at the end of a hundred years which has placed twenty thousand francs at five per cent will have had one hundred thousand francs and this will not prevent it from having one hundred thousand more in the following century in other words for twenty thousand francs which represents its labor it will have levied in two centuries a tenfold value on the labor of others in this social arrangement is there not a monstrous evil to be reformed and this is not all if it should please this family to curtail its enjoyments a little to spend for example only nine hundred francs instead of a thousand it may without any labor without any other trouble beyond that of investing one hundred francs a year increase its capital and its income in such rapid progression that it will soon be in a position to consume as much as a hundred families of industrious workmen does not all this go to prove that society itself has in its bosom a hideous cancer which ought to be eradicated at the risk of some temporary suffering these are it appears to me the sad and irritating reflections which must be excited in your minds by the active and superficial crusade which is being carried on against capital and interest on the other hand there are moments in which i am convinced doubts are awakened in your minds and scruples in your conscience you say to yourselves sometimes but to assert that capital ought not to produce interest is to say that he who has created instruments of labor or materials or provisions of any kind ought to yield them up without compensation is that just and then if it is so who would lend these instruments these materials these provisions who would take care of them who even would create them everyone would consume his proportion and the human race would never advance a step capital would be no longer formed since there would be no interest in forming it it would become exceedingly scarce a singular step towards gratuitous loans 
a singular means of improving the condition of borrowers to make it impossible for them to borrow at any price what would become of labor itself for there will be no money advanced not even one single kind of labor can be mentioned not even the chase which can be pursued without money in hand and as for ourselves what would become of us what we are not to be allowed to borrow in order to work in the prime of life nor to lend that we may enjoy repose in its decline the law will rob us of the prospect of laying by a little property because it will prevent us from gaining any advantage from it it will deprive us of all stimulus to save at the present time and of all hope of repose for the future it is useless to exhaust ourselves with fatigue we must abandon the idea of leaving our sons and daughters a little property since modern science renders it useless for we should become traffickers in men if we were to lend it on interest alas the world which these persons would open before us as an imaginary good is still more dreary and desolate than that which they condemn for hope at any rate is not banished from the latter thus in all respects and in every point of view the question is a serious one let us hasten to arrive at a solution our civil code has a chapter entitled on the manner of transmitting property i do not think it gives a very complete nomenclature on this point when a man by his labor has made some useful thing in other words when he has created a value it can only pass into the hands of another by one of the following modes as a gift by the right of inheritance by exchange loan or theft one word upon each of these except the last although it plays a greater part in the world than we may think a gift needs no definition it is essentially voluntary and spontaneous it depends exclusively upon the giver and the receiver cannot be said to have any right to it without a doubt morality and religion make it a duty for men especially the rich to deprive themselves voluntarily of that which they possess in favor of their less fortunate brethren but this is entirely a moral obligation if it were to be asserted on principle admitted in practice or sanctioned by law that every man has a right to the property of another the gift would have no merit charity and gratitude would be no longer virtues besides such a doctrine would suddenly and universally arrest labor and production as severe cold congeals water and suspends animation for who would work if there was no longer to be any connection between labor and the satisfying of our wants political economy has not treated of gifts it has hence been concluded that it disowns them and that it is therefore a science devoid of heart this is a ridiculous accusation that science which treats of the laws resulting from the reciprocity of services had no business to inquire into the consequences of generosity with respect to him who receives nor into its effects perhaps still more precious on him who gives such considerations belong evidently to the science of morals we must allow the sciences to have limits above all we must not accuse them of denying or undervaluing what they look upon as foreign to their department the right of inheritance against which so much has been objected of late is one of the forms of gift and assuredly the most natural of all 
that which a man has produced he may consume exchange or give what can be more natural than that he should give it to his children it is this power more than any other which inspires him with courage to labor and to save do you know why the principle of right of inheritance is thus called in question because it is imagined that the property thus transmitted is plundered from the masses this is a fatal error political economy demonstrates in the most peremptory manner that all value produced is a creation which does no harm to any person whatever for that reason it may be consumed and still more transmitted without hurting any one but i shall not pursue these reflections which do not belong to the subject exchange is the principal department of political economy because it is by far the most frequent method of transmitting property according to the free and voluntary agreements of the laws and effects of which this science treats properly speaking exchange is the reciprocity of services the parties say between themselves give me this and i will give you that or do this for me and i will do that for you it is well to remark for this will throw a new light on the notion of value that the second form is always implied in the first when it is said do this for me and i will do that for you an exchange of service for service is proposed again when it is said give me this and i will give you that it is the same as saying i yield to you what i have done yield to me what you have done the labor is past instead of present but the exchange is not the less governed by the comparative valuation of the two services so that it is quite correct to say that the principle of value is in the services rendered and received on account of the productions exchanged rather than in the productions themselves in reality services are scarcely ever exchanged directly there is a medium which is termed money paul has completed a coat for which he wishes to receive a little bread a little wine a little oil a visit from the doctor a ticket for the play etc the exchange cannot be effected in kind so what does paul do he first exchanges his coat for some money which is called sale then he exchanges this money again for the things which he wants which is called purchase and now only has the reciprocity of services completed its circuit now only the labor and the compensation are balanced in the same individual i have done this for society it has done that for me in a word it is only now that the exchange is actually accomplished thus nothing can be more correct than this observation of j b say quote, since the introduction of money every exchange is resolved into two elements sale and purchase it is the reunion of these two elements which renders the exchange complete we must remark also that the constant appearance of money in every exchange has overturned and missed all our ideas men have ended in thinking that money was true riches and that to multiply it was to multiply services and products hence the prohibitory system hence paper money hence the celebrated aphorism what one gains the other loses and all the errors which have ruined the earth and imbrued it with blood 
after much research it has been found that in order to make the two services exchanged of equivalent value and in order to render the exchange equitable the best means was to allow it to be free however plausible at first sight the intervention of the state might be it was soon perceived that it is always oppressive to one or other of the contracting parties when we look into these subjects we are always compelled to reason upon this maxim that equal value results from liberty we have in fact no other means of knowing whether at a given moment two services are of the same value but that of examining whether they can be readily and freely exchanged allow the state which is the same thing as force to interfere on one side or the other and from that moment all the means of appreciation will be complicated and entangled instead of becoming clear it ought to be the part of the state to prevent and above all to repress artifice and fraud that is to secure liberty and not to violate it i have enlarged a little upon exchange although loan is my principal object my excuse is that i conceive that there is in a loan an actual exchange an actual service rendered by the lender and which makes the borrower liable to an equivalent services two services whose comparative value can only be appreciated like that of all possible services by freedom now if it is so the perfect lawfulness of what is called house rent farm rent interest will be explained and justified next let us consider the case of loan end of section two capital and interest